I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast about fame with me, Barnaby Slater. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, please do subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a rating and comment in Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening. Also, do give us a follow on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. In Series 5 of the podcast, I'm bringing you daily episodes called 15 Minutes of Fame, where I read out some of the most honest, controversial and often downright funny stories that celebrities have ever told. In today's episode, musician Elton John discusses how he met Princess Diana and the circumstances around her tragic death when he rewrote Candle in the Wind and performed it at her funeral. Hope you enjoy. I first met Diana in 1981, just before she and Prince Charles were married. It was at Prince Andrew's 21st birthday party at Windsor Castle. Ray Cooper and I were supposed to be providing the entertainment. It was a completely surreal evening. The outside of the castle was illuminated with psychedelic lighting, and before we performed, the entertainment in the ballroom came courtesy of a mobile disco. Because the Queen was there, and no one wanted to cause any offence to the royal sensibilities, the disco was turned down about as low as you could get without switching it off altogether. You could literally hear your feet moving around on the floor over the music. Princess Anne asked me to dance with her to Hound Dog by Elvis Presley. Well, I say dance. I ended up just awkwardly shuffling from foot to foot, trying to make as little noise as I could so that I didn't drown out the music. If you strained your ears and concentrated hard, you could just about make out that the DJ had segued from Elvis into Rock Around the Clock. Then the Queen appeared, carrying her handbag. She walked over to us and asked if she could join us. So now I was trying to dance as inaudibly as possible with Princess Anne and the Queen. And that was the thing about my interactions with the royal family. I always found them incredibly charming and funny people. I know the Queen's public image isn't exactly one of wild frivolity, but I think that's more to do with the nature of her job. I noticed it when I got the CBE and then the knighthood. She has to spend two and a half hours handing the things out, making small talk with 200 people, one after the other. Anyone would be hard-pressed to come up with a string of brilliant witticisms in that position. She just asks you if you're busy at the moment, you say yes ma'am, she says how lovely, and moves on. But in private she could be hilarious. At another party, I saw her approach Viscount Linley and ask him to look in on her sister, who'd been taken ill and retired to her room. When he repeatedly tried to fob her off, the Queen lightly slapped him across the face, saying, Don't. Slap. Argue. Slap. With. Slap. Me. Slap. I. Slap. Am. Slap. The Queen. That seemed to do the trick. As he left, she saw me staring at her, gave me a wink and walked off. Yet, no matter how funny or normal the royal family seemed, whether they were complaining about the paint job on my Aston Martin or asking me if I'd done any coke before I went on stage or winking at me after slapping their nephew across the face, 
there would inevitably come a moment where I'd find myself feeling slightly out of place, thinking, this is just bizarre. I'm a musician from a council house on Pinner Road. What am I doing here? But with Diana, it wasn't like that. Despite her status and background, she was blessed with an incredible social ease, an ability to talk to anybody, to make herself seem ordinary, to make people feel totally comfortable in her company. Her kids have inherited it, Prince Harry in particular. He's exactly the same as his mum, completely without any interest in formality or grandeur. That famous photo of her holding an AIDS patient's hand at the London Middlesex Hospital, I don't think she was necessarily trying to make a big point, although obviously she did. In that moment, she changed public attitudes to AIDS forever. She just met someone suffering, dying in agony. Why wouldn't you reach out and touch them? It's the natural human impulse to try and comfort someone. That night in 1981, she arrived in the ballroom and we immediately clicked. We ended up pretending to dance the Charleston while hooting at the disco's feebleness. She was fabulous company, the best dinner party guest, incredibly indiscreet, a real gossip. You could ask her anything and she'd tell you. The only peculiar thing about her was the way she talked about Prince Charles. She never mentioned him by name, it was always my husband, never Charles. But if I was bowled over by Diana, it was nothing compared to the impact she could have on straight men. They seemed to completely lose their minds in her presence, they were just utterly bewitched. When I was making The Lion King, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the head of Disney, came over to England and we threw a dinner party for him and his wife Marilyn at Woodside. I asked them if there was anyone in Britain they really wanted to meet, and straight away they said Princess Diana. So we invited her, and George Michael, Richard Curtis and his wife Emma Freud, Richard Gere and Sylvester Stallone, all of whom were in the country at the time. The most peculiar scene developed. Straight away, Richard Gere and Diana seemed very taken with each other. She was separated from Prince Charles by this point, and Richard had just broken up with Cindy Crawford, and they ended up sitting on the floor in front of the fireplace together, locked in rapt conversation. As the rest of us chatted, I couldn't help notice a slightly strange atmosphere in the room. Judging by the kind of looks he kept shooting them, the sight of Diana and Richard Gere's newly blossoming friendship was not going down very well with Sylvester Stallone at all. I think he might have turned up to the party with the express intention of picking Diana up, only to find his plans for the evening unexpectedly ruined. Eventually, dinner was served. We moved into the dining room and seated ourselves at the table, or at least most of us did. There was no sign of Richard Gere, or indeed Sylvester Stallone. We waited, still no sign. Finally, I asked David to go and find them. He came back with both of them, but he was wearing a fairly ashen expression. Elton, he mumbled, we have a situation. It transpired that when David had gone out to find them, he discovered Sylvester Stallone and Richard Gere in the corridor, squaring up to each other, apparently about to settle their differences over Diana by having a fistfight. He'd managed to calm things down by pretending he hadn't noticed what was going on. Hey guys, time for dinner! But Sylvester clearly still wasn't happy. After dinner, Diana and Richard Gere resumed their position together in front of the fire, and Sylvester eventually stormed off home. I never would have come, he snapped, as David and I showed him to the door, if I'd known Prince fucking Charming was going to be here. Then he added, if I'd wanted her, I would have taken her. We managed to wait until his car was out of sight before we started laughing. Back in the living room, Diana and Richard Gere were still gazing raptly at each other. She seemed completely unruffled. Maybe she hadn't realised what was happening. Or maybe stuff like that happened all the time and she was used to it. After she died, people started talking about something called the Diana effect, meaning the way she managed to change the public's attitudes to the royal family, or to AIDS, or bulimia, or mental health. But every time I heard the phrase, I thought about that night. There was definitely another kind of Diana effect, one that could bring Hollywood superstars to the verge of a punch-up over her attentions at a dinner party, like a couple of love-struck teenage idiots. 
She was a very dear friend for years, and then, completely unexpectedly, we fell out. The cause was a book Gianni Versace put together called Rock and Royalty. It was a collection of portraits by great photographers, Richard Avedon, Cecil Beaton, Herb Ritz, Irving Penn, Robert Mapplethorpe. The proceeds were going to the AIDS Foundation, and she agreed to write the foreword. Then she got cold feet. I think Buckingham Palace didn't like the idea of a member of the royal family having anything to do with a book that featured shots of naked guys with towels draped around them. So, at the last moment, Diana withdrew her forward. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. She said she had no idea of the book's contents, which just wasn't true. Gianni had shown her the whole thing and she had said she loved it. I wrote back to her, calling her out, telling her how much money she had cost the AIDS Foundation, reminding her that she had seen the book. The letter I got back was very formal and severe. Dear Mr. John. And that seemed to be the end of that. I was angry with her, but I was also worried. She seemed to be losing touch with all sorts of really close friends, who would be honest with her and tell her the truth. She was surrounding herself instead with people who told her what she wanted to hear. I knew from personal experience that wasn't a healthy situation. I didn't speak to her again until the day Gianni was murdered. She was the first person to call me after John Reed rang and told me he was dead. I don't even know how she got hold of the number. We hadn't had the house in Nice for long. She was just down the coast in Saint-Tropez on Dodi Fire's yacht. 
She asked how I was, if I'd spoken to Donatella, then she said, I'm so sorry, it was a silly falling out. Let's be friends. She came with us to the funeral, looking incredible, tanned from her holiday, wearing a pearl necklace. She was the same warm, caring, tactile person she had always been. When she walked in, the paparazzi in the church went crazy. It was like the biggest star in the world had arrived, which I suppose she had. They didn't let up throughout the service, although I feel I should point out that the famous shot they got of her supposedly consoling me, where she's leaning forward towards me, speaking while I'm red-eyed and glazed with grief, is one moment in the service where she wasn't doing anything of the sort. They snapped her just as she was leaning past me, reaching for a mint that David offered her. The warm words of comfort coming from her lips at that exact moment were actually, God, I'd love a polo. I wrote to her afterwards, thanking her, and she wrote back, offering to be a patron of the AIDS Foundation, and asking if I would get involved in her landmine charity. We were going to meet up next time we were both in London to have lunch and discuss it, but there wasn't a next time. A couple of days after her death, I got a phone call from Richard Branson. He told me that when people signed the Book of Condolence at St James's Palace, a lot of them were writing down quotations from the lyrics of Candle in the Wind. They were playing it a lot on the radio in the UK as well. Stations had changed from their usual musical format and were broadcasting sombre-sounding music to reflect the public mood. Then he asked if I would be prepared to rewrite the lyrics and sing it at the funeral. I hadn't been expecting that at all. I think Richard had been contacted by the Spencer family because they felt the funeral should be something that people would really connect to. They didn't want a severe, remote royal event full of pageantry and protocol because that wouldn't have fitted Diana's character at all. So I called Bernie. I thought it was an incredibly tough gig for him. Not only was whatever he wrote going to be broadcast live to literally billions of people, it was obvious that the funeral would be a huge global televised event, it had to be vetted by the royal family and the Church of England. But he was fantastic. He acted as if writing a song that the Queen and the Archbishop of Canterbury had to check through first was all in a day's work. He faxed the lyrics over the next morning. I faxed them to Richard Branson, and they were waved through. Even so, when I went to rehearse at Westminster Abbey the day before the funeral, I had no idea of what to expect. What if people didn't really want me to be here either? But it couldn't have been more different. The Archbishop of Canterbury was incredibly nice and hugely supportive. There was a real sense of camaraderie that everyone had to pull together to make this thing work. I insisted on having a teleprompter by the piano with Bernie's new lyrics on it. Up until then, I had been against their use. Partly because it seemed antithetical to the spontaneous spirit of rock and roll. You've really only got three things to do on stage, sing in tune, play the right notes and remember the words. If you can only be bothered to do two of them, you may as well go and find another job instead. It's why I have such a problem with artists miming on stage. But this time, I thought I could relax the rules slightly. It was a completely unique experience, a one-off. There was a sense in which it was the biggest gig of my life. For four minutes, I was literally going to be the centre of the world's attention. But equally, it wasn't an Elton John moment. It wasn't about me at all. It was very strange. Just how strange was underlined when we arrived at Westminster Abbey the next day. David and I went with George Michael. This was long before we fell out over his drug problems. He had rung up and asked if we could go to the funeral together. On the car journey there, we just sat in silence. George was too upset to speak. There was no conversation, nothing. The place was full of people I knew. Donatella Versace was there, David Frost, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. It all felt slightly surreal, like a dream you were having rather than something that was actually happening in real life. We were seated in the inner sanctum of the church, right where the royal family came in. William and Harry looked completely shell-shocked. They were 15 and 12, and I thought the way they were treated that day was absolutely inhuman. They were forced to walk through the streets of London behind their mother's coffin, told to show no emotion and look straight ahead. It was a horrendous way to treat two kids who just lost their mum. But I barely took any of it in. I wasn't suffering from nerves, exactly. 
I'd be lying if I said the thought that two billion people were watching never crossed my mind, but at least I was performing in front of the part of the church where they'd put all the representatives from the charities Diana supported, so there were friends from the Elton John AIDS Foundation there. But it was less stage fright than a very specific fear. What if I went into autopilot and sang the wrong version? I'd performed Candle in the Wind hundreds of times. It really wasn't beyond the realms of possibility that I might lose myself in the performance, forget about the teleprompter altogether, and start singing the original lyrics. How bad could it be if I did that? Appalling. People might have been quoting lines from them in the Book of Condolence at St James's Palace, but huge chunks of the lyrics were obviously completely inappropriate for the occasion. You'd have a hard time bluffing your way out of singing about Marilyn Monroe being found dead in the nude, or how your feelings were something more than sexual at a state funeral in front of a global audience of two billion people, or whatever it was supposed to be. I don't remember much about the performance itself, but I remember the applause afterwards. It seemed to start outside Westminster Abbey and sweep into the church itself, which I guess meant that Diana's family had achieved their aim in getting me to sing. It connected with the people outside. When I got back to Woodside, the funeral cortege had got to the M1, People were throwing flowers at Diana's hearse from the bridges over the motorway. That was when I finally broke down. I hadn't felt able to show emotion all day. I had a job to do, and how I felt about Diana's death might have interfered with my ability to do it. The funeral wasn't about me, it was about her. So up until that point, I couldn't afford to be upset. Hope you enjoyed that extract. What more can we say about Elton John? Uh, deliciously indiscreet, and yet seemingly beneath the millions of pounds worth of flower deliveries and crystallized ridiculous glasses a caring man with a big heart the uh, Sylvester Stallone and Richard Gere story obviously hilarious uh, and then a very moving part about what happened around Diana's funeral um, let me know what you think uh, in the comments section on Apple Podcasts or by posting to our social media of course which is Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous uh, please do press that subscribe button as well uh, as rating the podcast on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening. Uh, once again, please check out my other podcast, It's Your Funeral, a lighthearted look into the most important day of our guests' afterlives, and give it a follow on Insta at Pod It's Your Funeral. Thanks for listening, and remember, there'll be another episode of Almost Famous 15 Minutes of Fame every weekday. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 